Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide podcast. It's the Sunday Nighter on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, and Travis Ryer, the longtime BamaOnline.com senior analyst, along as always as well. Uh, Going to break breaking down Alabama's blowout victory over Vanderbilt. Take a look around the rest of the SEC on the back end of the show, as we always do. Looking forward to it. Uh, thanks to our listeners and viewers for being here. The Twitter feed, of course, is talking underscore Tide. If you'd like to follow us there, get quick links uh, to all our podcasts as they drop on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights during football season. I uh, want to thank our sponsors as well, two local, two corporate, Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, North River Dental Associates, and, of course, DraftKings and Raycon earbuds. More on them later in the program. Travis, a blowout victory for the Crimson Tide, 55-3. to A uh, uh, manhandling the likes of which uh, was just the same. You couldn't tell it apart, really, from Utah State and ULM uh, with Alabama taking a, a pretty commanding lead early on in the game, finishing with 628 yards uh, and a dominant defensive effort to go with it. Uh, a complete a complete win all the way around. Yeah, it felt like more of a complete performance from this team than we had seen in the previous three games yeah. to open the season. But you know, at the same time, there were still some mistakes, some issues that in the right place at the wrong time could come back and really hurt this team. Specifically, as much as we praised the punt return team uh, a week ago and rightfully so for its performance against ULM. It wasn't a bright spot. The return yards were still good, but two muff punts, a fumbled punt return. Um, and then you also still had some penalty issues, but more so with the offensive line. Hard to knock those guys too much, though, because protection throughout the night was really good for Bryce and the quarterback position in general and you know, did some of its best work once again in the second half when it really wanted to impose its will with the run game. Yeah, speaking of Kool-Aid McKinstry, another, like you said, a big night for him yardage-wise, 91 punt return yards for McKinstry on five returns. That, of course, coming off uh, an even bigger punt return performance by both him and the team against Louisiana Monroe. But you and I both are going to tell people to sell rather than buy on any notion of Kool-Aid McKinstry being uh, the punt returner when JoJo Earl is healthy. Keep in mind, even before – McKinstry fumbled two punts. Nick Saban said that job is Earl's when he gets healthy, uh, which is around the corner, a week or two probably is what we're looking at uh, with him. Uh, and so despite the the spectacular uh, Javier Arenas-like return numbers for McKinstry, uh, two fumbles won't stand for Nick Saban. No, it starts with ball security. And you're right, the, the average once again right up there at 23 per return. He had the long of 40. The problem with the 40 was that at the end of it, he put the ball on the ground and Vandy was able to recover. So um, it is nice to know that Kool-Aid is very capable back there. Have multiple ball security issues. Uh, even if that door was a little bit open for someone else to jump in there in place of JoJo Earl, even upon his return, um, you know, it kind of slams shut on those potential candidates uh, if you have those kind of issues crop up. Offensively for the Crimson Tide, 628 yards, 34 first downs, really up and down the field. And 
And uh, the second unit kind of had its way, I thought, too, on both sides of the ball, which probably speaks to what you said about it being maybe a more complete victory uh, all the way around than, than, than we've seen in other games where maybe the twos haven't quite performed as well. Ja'Cory Brooks' career day for him, Travis, six for 117, caught all four passes on one particular touchdown drive. Uh, not sure when the last time I've, I've seen that is, but uh, uh, Bryce Young was was locked in with Brooks uh, for that possession for sure. He was. In the first half, it was really good to see Jermaine Burton get involved, and it seemed like they must have talked about that throughout the week because the very first snap of the game, uh, it's a hitch to Jermaine on the outside, get him an early touch, and then you know, a couple of explosives from him, which we haven't seen much of to this point of the season. Um, including the 48-yarder there uh, late in the first half that set up the the field goal going into the break by Will Reichard. So a lot of positives, starting with Ja'Cory Brooks and also Jermaine Burton combined over 200 receiving yards in the first half. Um, and then still good stuff from Treshawn Holden. Good to see Kobe Prentice take on, you know, reassume more of a role, although he did have one go off his hands. Maybe might have been Bryce's young Bryce Young's best throw of the night went off of Kobe's hands there in the second quarter. But all in all, just a couple of drops and a, a really solid performance. And once again, because of protection being what it was, uh, Bryce had a lot of opportunities to get down to a second, third, maybe even fourth guy at times. For two weeks in a row now, Nick Saban has chided the press, uh, uh, borderline ridiculed the press about the concept of designated touches, designated distribution of the ball, saying, oh, it's 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 all about the defense, taking what they give you. Bryce Young's looking for the open guy. Who knows who where it's going to go? Well, yeah, but you also, when you call the play, you know who the number one guy in the progression is going to be too, Travis. And, and in a case like Jermaine Burton, uh, if you want to get him more involved, you got some plays in, in that playbook that, that have got Burton uh, being Young's first look. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you can default to the RPOs and, well, it's really a run call with a pass tag and these things. But absolutely, yeah. you formation guys in a way in which you can get them the ball, right? So it isn't just with the play call itself. It goes back to personnel groupings and formations and, you know, I want to get this guy in this matchup against this defender, those type of things. and. You know, Vanderbilt came out playing pretty soft coverage on the outside. So Bryce took advantage of that more with the the short stuff. But then when they caught the corners creeping up a little bit or maybe not carrying wide receivers down the field, Ja'Cory on both of his touchdowns, I think those were double moves. So those were effective. Uh, I think that was very promising to see from Alabama's receivers because you're going to have some opportunities coming up here with Arkansas that you – threw for 559 yards against last year in Tuscaloosa, I think, to to put up some numbers in the passing game once again. A strange kind of an injury scare for tight end Cam Latou, Travis, as well in this game. We saw him go down in what appeared to be is a deep ball that went in his direction. It was an overthrow, and he kind of twisted his body in the air and maybe fell a little bit awkwardly. It looked like an awfully serious injury to see him going off the field, not put any weight. They didn't put any weight on that leg at all. Uh, two trainers were, were helping him off the field. 
And then he's back in the game in a couple series. Really bizarre, <laughs> frankly, and and uh, certainly for Alabama, a blessing that that Cam Latou didn't wasn't seriously hurt because it sure did look like it. Yeah, you know, on the replay, I was looking to see if it was the classic situation of a you know a bad tweak that could speak to a sort of non-contact even ACL uh, to see if it had the earmarks of that, and it really didn't. So to see him, you know, in that situation coming off the field, uh, I didn't feel like it looked like John Mechie against Georgia where he just had the classic appearance of non-contact ACL or even uh, Jamison Williams against Georgia in the national championship game. So still, as you said, though, given the the, the scene there post-injury, I was with you. I was like, they better get Amari Nyblack ripped up or someone because this doesn't look good. And then you're right. Very next series, there's number 81. And it was, it was really, really good to see that. I, right. Right. When, when Latou came back in the game during, during, uh, during the game, I tweeted, I want some of that medicine. Got him <laughs> back on the field. So well, you know, <laughs> so they've been known to have Mr. Miyagi over yeah. there in that tent sometimes. What, one of the, what, what, funny you say that too, because one of those Twitter followers put out a, a, a Mr. Miyagi gif oh, yeah. in response, you know, with the clap yeah. and, the, and the, and the hands, hands rubbing together. Yeah. Uh, Tua. So. I remember Tua going over there a couple of times and thinking, eh, yeah. Uh, of course, the, the the last time against Mississippi State, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't doable. But it just it just goes to show you never know because we've seen guys saw John Mechie. It, it seemed like jog off the field in the mm-hmm. SEC championship game, and he's got an ACL. And then you see Cam on Saturday night, and you're thinking the worst. And then he's he's back in the lineup a series later. Touching on the Alabama running game really quickly, Travis, uh, before we turn to the defense, your thoughts on uh, Jace McClellan, big night for him, 11 for 78. That's actually the first time this season in week four that an Alabama back has had double-digit carries in a game, uh, which is not something you would come to expect from uh, from Alabama because they, they like to feed it to, to, to people back there. Uh, but uh, that also, Travis, demonstrates how much playing time the Roydell Williamses and the Jamarian Millers, et cetera, are actually getting in the second half uh, because it, it seems like um, it, it's it, it's a couple series all around for in a lot of these games so far. Yeah, it's, last week you saw McClellan and Jameer Gibbs as kind of the two backs in the first half of that game. And then third quarter, Roydell got in there and got some run and – and then uh, you get into Trey Sanders, and Jamarian Miller continues to be very impressive late in games. You know, Alabama in the fourth quarter of the last two games has rushed for over 100 yards in the fourth quarter, and Jamarian Miller has been a big part of that. So, and also give credit not only to the starting group where the offensive line is concerned, plus Tyler Booker, who we saw uh, in that mix once again at guard, but, you know, those second, third team offensive linemen are coming in and uh, taking care of business. When everybody in the stadium knows you're going to run the football, uh, you still see Jamarian Miller with some big runs in the fourth quarter for a second straight week, and really three out of the first four weeks. Speaking of runs, let's talk about stopping runs. Alabama defensively, Travis, allowed 0.5 yards per carry on the ground to the Vanderbilt Commodores. Extremely stingy in the run game. Only gave up 129 yards total for the game. Really an impossible task for what I think is a really talented 
freshman and and uh, Vanderbilt's AJ Swan. Yeah, it it wasn't going to be sustainable for AJ Swan in the passing game if Ray Davis and Rocco Griffin and the rest of the Vandy running backs weren't able to provide something on the ground, especially if Vandy wasn't going to employ the services of Mike Wright at the quarterback position and what he's able to do as a runner there. So I think Vandy came in averaging right around 217 per game on the ground. Now, a lot of that came in the week zero blasting of Hawaii, who is just maybe might be the worst FBS team right now, uh, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, but um, still a, a solid run team. Uh, Ray Davis, respectable numbers coming in at the running back position, but you know Alabama limits him to 11 carries and 17 yards with a long run of seven. And, and when you're doing that, especially on early downs, you're able to put a young quarterback in a tough spot. And really, it just felt like at one point that the Vanderbilt offense was going to come down to back shoulder throws from A.J. Swan to Will Shepard, which – Bandy hit on a few of those, but right. it wasn't going to be enough to to do enough offensively to be competitive in this game. Big night for the pass rush, five sacks all told. Will Anderson with half of that, two and a half uh, for him, despite uh, him continuing, Travis, to get his share of breathers on the sideline. I mean, we see, and it's not, it wasn't just the Vanderbilt game, really all season long, uh, Dallas Turner and, and Chris Braswell, particularly Turner, uh, have been getting in there and in certain situations, uh, Anderson's getting a, getting a breather on the sidelines, still putting up extremely productive numbers. Uh, but, and as I happened to write about for the T news, actually had him on the sideline on a third and five, uh, in the right at, right at near the, near the end of the first, uh, well, at the beginning of the second quarter, Travis, unusual for sure, but uh, says something about, about how this coaching staff feels about what Turner and, and Braswell can give them. Yeah, I think they felt like they've got three starting caliber outside linebackers with those guys. And uh, don't worry, I, I don't think Will's going to be on the field for many third and fives coming up in the month of October. Uh, I think you can kind of pace him a little bit. Uh, during that September schedule, especially with three of those four opponents. But I think uh, this next Saturday in Ox in, Ar- in Arkansas, in Fayetteville, um, you know, if, if it goes sort of according to plan uh, with that type of opponent on the other side, Will's obviously going to play his, his third down. So, uh, but no, it's good. And, you know, we did see those three guys on the field together and some of the dime rabbits. We had been anticipating that it, Took a little while for it to come to fruition, but safe to say, I think, Chase, that that trio together on the field together um, gave guys uh, like Kendall Bryles of Arkansas coming up here a little bit of something extra to think about for next time. No doubt. No question about it. Finally, defensively, uh, linebacker Deontay Lawson bears some mentioning again, Travis. He again was, uh, except for rotating defensive linemen, he was pretty much the first two in the game uh, against Vanderbilt. And Nick Saban said he considers him uh, kind of a co-starter anyway, along with Henry Toa Toa and Jalen Moody. The interesting thing about the the platoon, if you want to call it that, between Lawson and Moody, though, Travis, is it's not like they're trading series, right? So it's not like a, a Nico Johnson, CJ Mosley situation no. where, it's, where it's situational and one's playing early downs and one's subbing in on passing downs. They're trading series and, and losses getting in there pretty early. And, and, and it, 
certainly looks like Alabama is looking to groom him with as much experience as possible, not just situationally, but down to down. No, I think he's your every down guy next year for sure. You know, it's more of a question of who you're going to pair him with. Uh, as we've talked about here, once you move on from Henry uh, and Jalen, and he was impressive once again. I thought, you know, similar to outside linebacker, you've got three starting caliber inside guys to go along with three on the outside. So I, I like to see it. I like to see him out there uh, if he's ready to the point that he appears to be uh, because you don't know week to week what might happen from an injury perspective, and you could need him to be a 50, 60 snap a game guy right. uh, in a, in a moment's time. Uh, but as much as anything, I like him for next year when you're going to be replacing your signal caller that we've heard time and time again over these last two seasons, how important Henry Toa Toa is to this defense from that perspective. Right. Right. No question. All right. The talking tide podcast on the pigskin podcast network moving on. We're going to thank our sponsors here really quickly. Going to first tell you all about, North River Dental Associates, Dr. Jack Smalley, and that fantastic staff of dental hygienists over there at 1100 Fairfax Park, conveniently located right off of Watermelon Road. Whatever kind of dentistry you need, pediatric dentistry for the kids, cosmetic dentistry, porcelain veneers, the teeth whitening services, extremely popular as well over at North River Dental. And on a routine cleaning, they're going to get you in and out door to door, typically in less than an hour with an, an outstanding and quality job at the same time. Uh, also, of course, Botox and Juvederm treatments available to tighten up those facial features at North River Dental. You can make an appointment at 752-3506 or visit NorthRiverDentist.com. It is North River Dental Associates. Speaking of things that'll make your mouth happy, how about that for a segue? Yeah. Peterbrook Chocolatier right there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. The outstanding signature chocolate-covered popcorn. You're always going to find that there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. It is football season. Really, year-round, you're going to find the Roll Tide and Alabama treats at Peterbrook Chocolatier. I told you, Halloween right around the corner. They've got you ready to go right now at Peterbrook Chocolatier when it comes to fall-themed treats, Halloween stuff. They've got those caramel-dipped apples that you're going to love. You get those dipped in chocolate as well. and get, get them accessorized, as I like to say. Get some walnuts on there. Get some graham cracker dust on top there. Get a little white chocolate drizzled on the outside of those caramel chocolate-dipped apples. Right there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Corporate orders for Christmas, 205 0211. Call them now and beat the rush. Get yourself situated for Christmas orders and those corporate orders at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Dr. Jack will keep those choppers chocolate <laughs> ready. Right. Peterbrook. You yeah. can just go make back a, and forth. They'll make from a perfect, perfect imprint in that caramel chocolate dipped apple on that first bite. Yeah. It'll look yeah. just, yeah, perfect. So close together. You don't even need, you barely need an Uber to get from one of the no, other two. No, so, yeah, no, no, no. Fine combination. All right. We're going to tell you all about the DraftKings Sportsbook now. The NFL action in full swing at DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Now, new customers can get $200 in free bets on just a $5 bet on any NFL team. You absolutely cannot beat it. 
uh, as well. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN. That'll help us here at Talking Tide. They'll get you $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place just a $5 bet on any football game. That's promo code TPPN only at the DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Finally going to tell you all about those outstanding Raycon earbuds. I rave about them. I love them. Uh, I've been listening to them uh, not quite daily, but almost daily uh, since I picked up a pair and you should too. Raycon earbuds, they have the look, feel, and sound that's better than ever. Optimized gel tips, perfect in-ear fit, eight hours of playtime, 32 hours of battery life, and half the price of other premium audio brands. No wonder Raycon has over 50,000 five-star reviews uh, for its everyday earbuds. So give them a try. Go to Raycon.com today. Use promo code TPPN15. That'll get you 15% off of your Raycon order. Thanks to the Pigskin Podcast Network. So promo code TPPN15 by Raycon.com. You'll score 15% off of your outstanding Raycon earbuds. Travis, we look around at the rest of the SEC now, at least the top games as we typically do. Let's start with Auburn's home escape of Missouri. And when I say escape, I'm talking about a double escape, uh, a 26-yard field. I know as a former kicker, you had to hate to see this. 26-yard <laughs> field goal shanked at the end of regulation that could have gotten Missouri home. And then in overtime, uh, they fumble the ball uh, while crossing the goal line, nearly crossing the goal line, goes out of bounds. Auburn wins the game. Yeah, unbelievable. It felt like Missouri almost tried to lose that game with the way it finished because Missouri's kicker, Mevis, is one of the best in college football. I mean, this is a guy who I think definitely could kick at the next level. And he inexplicably, full goal, field goals can be tough down there, as we know, uh, at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Misses the 26-yarder. Um, and then you get into overtime, and it looks like Anders Carlson is going to miss a field goal attempt in the top of the first OT for Auburn. But Missouri's offside. For the second time in the game, Missouri had done this on a field goal, by the way. Yeah. So, of course, Carlson drills the redo to take the three-point lead. And then you have the situation at the goal line uh, with Pete that you talked about. So, um, boy, that game didn't give a lot for about three hours or so, but it had one of the damnedest ending, endings you'll ever see. And, uh, you know, I, for Auburn to be a team that right now is tied atop the division standings through one SEC game, of course, well, it, it, it doesn't have the vibe of that coming off the planes right now. Now, what say you as Talking Tides kicking expert All right. about Mevis's uh routine or non-routine apparently that he likes to kick cold with no warm-ups have you ever yeah, heard of that can, no can you, can you support that no uh, i can't now there is the other side of that i've seen kickers just kick themselves into paralysis in the net over there um i, I think maybe the the 2018 national championship game uh, with Alabama and Georgia and Atlanta might have been an instance from the Alabama perspective where that might have happened a little bit. So there's a medium, there's a happy medium there. You don't want to be over there, you know, like robo kicker working that net, but right. 
you know, if I'm going to get a couple of three just to get the the motion synced up and get the feel on my foot a little bit, I'm going to do that and just kind of be able to envision the kick before I even have to go out there. Um, I, I would take advantage of it. it. The guy's great, like I said, usually. Yeah. So whatever works for you is what it comes down to. But no, that that's a little bit different from my perspective or what I would talk to a young kicker about. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's funny. All, all it takes is missing a 26-yarder to win a game for a lot of attention to be drawn to well, that routine. You know? it's, like, it's almost like Larry Bird when he wouldn't take his warm-up <laughs> off in the three-point right. shooting contest because, ah, I only need to take it off, boys. Yeah. You know, it kind of feels like it was a maybe, maybe yeah. it's a little flex involved. They don't even need to warm up, you know. Maybe just, you send one straight right and hey, look a little tight. Hurry up and give me that red, white, and blue. Yeah, one. Go, yeah. Go give me that money ball. I got it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to move quickly here for these last couple of games. Tennessee, Florida, 38-33, the final there. You and I both called that one, Travis, the balls. Get it done at home against a Florida team that rang up a ton of yards. Uh, Tennessee couldn't do anything with uh, Anthony Richardson yardage-wise. Uh, but nevertheless, um, yeah, Hendon Hooker, uh, solid game. Tennessee gets it done. They did. And offensively, this is a Tennessee team uh, with Bro McCoy stepping up at that wide receiver position, with Hyatt stepping up at that wide receiver position. Even without Cedric Tillman, didn't miss a beat. And so, and I give Florida some credit too. There was a couple of times there where you got the feeling that game might really get away from the Gators. Uh, but Billy Napier stayed very aggressive on fourth down, and that worked out for the most part. Wasn't crazy about how Napier handled the two-point situation there in uh, in an 11-point game. Um, you know, that seemed like it could have been costly once the Gators got the onside kick down five instead of three with mm -hmm. maybe an opportunity instead to have kicked a tying field goal. But fun game to watch, man. Anthony Richardson, if you were wondering about him throwing the football, he answered the bell against Tennessee on Saturday from that standpoint. How about throwing a deep shot on a fourth and two? Yeah. That was Money ball. Uh, gutsy. Yeah, and he still had the big turnover on the one design quarterback run where I think if he just stays with his puller, He's got something working on the outside. He went a little rogue and cut it back early and uh, paid the price for it. But uh, I think if you had asked any Florida fan going into that game, look, uh, Anthony's going to throw for 450-plus. <laughs> Would you take it. your chances with and that? Blink. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. They would love it for sure. All right, finally, Texas A&M 23-21. Big W for Jimbo Fisher, obviously, and – and uh, Arkansas, Travis blew, I believe, a 14 nothing lead, an early 14 nothing lead uh, in this one. A&M finds a way to come back. Pretty pedestrian day from uh, Max Johnson, but not a pedestrian day from Devin A. Chain, the running back. No, and he's got that capability. Alabama found that out firsthand uh, last season when he ran the kickoff back. Um, and that was a huge play in, in A&M's upset. Uh, of Alabama. He's got that sort of game-changing speed and ability. 21-7 uh, game. It could have been at one point Arkansas, and then I think we're talking about an entirely different game, but instead, K.J. Jefferson 
tries to take off from like the 14 yard line to go over the top at the goal line <laughs> and comes up about, oh, I don't know, three yards short and fumbles. And yeah. then there's a handoff on the ensuing He could probably dunk return. from the foul line. Yeah. Figured, oh, I got well, this, you know. <laughs> he thought he had a Superman cape on there for a second. But that obviously was huge because that made it a, I guess, 14-13 game at that point. And so, um, you know, but then Arkansas has every chance they're late and just one of the damnedest field goal misses, talking about field goals, to see a ball go off the very top of an upright like that and go just straight up in the air and then drop straight down short of the crossbar. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was a new one. You know, we think we've seen it all, and then we see that type of finish to AM Arkansas. Only thing crazier than that, Travis, that I've seen, if you remember, and we talked about this on Talking Tide, even though it wasn't an SEC game, was it three or four years ago? I think maybe Rice hit uh, made a field goal that doinked like four times like off a of one r- upright and then off both and then bar. off the crossbar yeah <laughs> yeah, I, yeah you're right i remember that now but um you know we'll talk about this later in the week it'll just make for an interesting psyche for not only this arkansas team with alabama coming to town but now the fan base mm-hmm. you know uh, i i expect it to be very very loud on saturday but Will it require the Arkansas team helping to generate more of that noise early than what Alabama would have encountered as soon as it came out for flex? Right. Right. All right. Uh, What about, despite the win for Jimbo Fisher, Travis, there's got to be a lot of head scratching in College Station (laughs) over what is right now the worst offense in the SEC, Texas A&M. Dead last. This is your court. You got the court, a $95 million quarterback guru for a head coach, Travis. And they're at the bottom of the SEC in points per game at like 21 and change. And they're not only are they at the bottom of the SEC in, in yardage at like 322 a game, but they're actually uh, in the cellar by like 50 yards or something. I forget who was 13th, but, but, they, but that team's averaging like 375. Yeah. And then, you know, you talk about, well, the schedule's been pretty tough, but then you see Miami get torched by Middle Tennessee. Yeah. At home yeah. on Saturday. Um, App State gave up, I think, what, 30 plus to James Madison at home on Saturday. What was that about? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't necessarily fry, fly. And with Jimbo, it, it feels like we've gotten to the point where we're like, well, just wait till he gets to the next quarterback that he's got coming. You know, right. like, well, wait till he gets to Haynes King or, you know, wait till he gets to the next one's going to be Connor Wiegman. Right. He's a five-star freshman. And that's the guy that's going to be next. And look, I've seen he enough. Be, he, Con- he better be, he, and he better I think, be neon. From I don't Matrix know if he, if he'll Neo. be that for Jimbo, neon. but what I've seen of Connor Wiegman, he can be that dude. He yeah. can be, but I, the point being, there have been some of those guys already that we've seen post Jameis. And it, it feels like now we're already starting to look ahead to Connor Wiegman as Jimbo's A&M Jameis in some way. So I like Max Johnson, and, and I think he brings uh, some stability to that offense that it didn't have before. But, yeah, in terms of dynamic playmaking ability, that's not really him. And then I think Anaya Smith had an injury um, in that win over Arkansas and – you talk about a guy who does a lot of different things for that football team. That's that's number zero. 
I'll tell you what, if Connor Wiegman is not Jimbo's Jameis, then he's going to have to be somebody else's Jimbo, Jimbo, uh, Jameis before he's done. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's, I mean, you think about if A&M loses that game and, and, and really probably should have lost that game yeah. on Saturday. And then, you know, goes still got to go to Mississippi state this week. That ain't no gimme. No. They lost at home to Mississippi State last year. Now they beat Alabama the next week, and that kind of fixed everything. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, AM's not out of the woods by any means. Jimbo's not out of the woods for this season by any means, just, just after yesterday. All right, that is going to do it for this fine edition of the Sunday Nighter on the Talking Tide podcast. Thanks for listening and watching along. Be sure to check us out when Travis and I preview Alabama's upcoming road game at Arkansas with a Wednesday night podcast. Until then, for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News and co-host of Crimson Cover Television, and we'll talk to you next time on Talking Tide.